The founder of a small business that teaches coding to kids in her community is next up on the K-12 Engineering Education Podcast. I'm Pius Wong in Austin, Texas. Recently, I spoke to Amy Prezada about her local educational business called My Coding Place. Amy's been running My Coding Place in Austin for several years. She manages coaches and instructors who teach programming, game design, and general problem solving to kids and to others in the area. I met Amy in person inside My Coding Place to talk about what motivates young kids to learn to code and how her business model has evolved through the pandemic and into the future. So my name is Amy Prasada. I'm the owner and founder of My Coding Place. We are a coding studio located in Austin, Texas, and we teach problem-solving skills to kids. So not just coding, but also math and chess and anything that might be related to help them you know, develop problem-solving skills and be able to think critically and analytically. Is that why you called it My Coding Place? Like you, you're using it as an in- because coding is really hot today, but you're really just trying to solve, yeah, like, so teach problems. That solving. wasn't the initial um, reason for the name. So I actually, in 2018, began as a franchise called The Coder School. And I had a lot of my own ideas. And the owners of the franchise were generous and let me um, out of the contract to operate independently. So I was required to come up with a new name. And at the time, I was solely focused. We were solely focused on teaching coding as a skill. And as we evolved and develop and grew our programs, we hired instructors who had other skill sets like chess. And chess has honestly become one of our more popular programs. Oh, wow. Yeah. So coding is, you know, it's, it's very specific, but we actually teach more than that. I guess we teach more what's behind the coding, which is yeah. problem solving. Yeah. So coding is the tool, right. I guess, just like chess and math, right? There are tools to solve problems. Yeah. Why coding at the start? Why were you interested in doing that and teaching that? Yeah, great question. So I, I myself learned to code in high school and found that I really enjoyed the problem-solving process. I enjoyed getting difficult problems, spending a lot of time trying to solve them with code, and it was very reward rewarding when I finally did. And so that help develop my passion for passing this on, right? I felt like it's very, very exciting and you feel like you're really, you know, learning and, you know, enjoying the learning process as you solve problems. And I understood you studied that in school and you also studied education, right? Right. So what made you, so, so you knew from an early time that you kind of loved both of those things. Is so, that true? well, I actually discovered at my university, um, the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, that they had a program called Teaching of Computer Science. Um, before I was aware of that, I was strictly studying computer science, mm -hmm. and it was fine. Um, I enjoyed solving the problems, right? But when I learned about this major, that's when I really thought, this is what I want to do. Like, if there was some way I could combine these two interests of mine, because I wanted to pass it on more than I actually wanted to code myself. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. And so what was your first, if you don't mind me asking, what were your first experiences like teaching coding? Were, were you teaching in college at UIUC? or I student taught, but at that time, it was mostly math. 
I do remember teaching because um, I was required to do a minor in math education. Sure. And sure. my major was in computer science education. Yeah. Um, but the schools at the time where I was student teaching um, needed more math instruction. Uh, but I do remember teaching um, basic programming. Whoa. Wow. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what they do today. Probably oh, Python I, Yeah. Or it's it probably Python or Scratch. Yeah. But Scratch, I think, is it's easy for... I think high school students even start with a little bit of Scratch before they jump into Java. So I guess we should mention we're in Austin, Texas. It's kind of a tech hub around the country. It's notorious or or famous for all of that. Do you think that this town played a role in you starting a business like this here? That's a good question. Um, I think I would have wanted to start it wherever I was, right? And I just, I think I had the resources on the connections and the interest being in Austin, right? And that's what I, you know, I enjoy now is connecting the students with this, I guess, skill or an opportunity because our instructors are also passionate, which is very exciting to me, right? So to be able to connect curious students with passion instructors is really been valuable and exciting to see. Cool, which is like another layer above instructing the students themselves you're like coaching the coaches in a way right cool um tell me a little bit about the students you see um what ages what types of folks are interested in the coding and the chess that you teach yeah we see we see mostly younger students i think you know we've gotten phone calls for four and five year olds but we don't start till seven we've had the occasional Mm six-year-old and really the limitation is just their motor skills with the typing and their ability to read which is why we start at seven. So I would say our average age is maybe nine, which is a, it's a sweet spot for learning Python. Now we've had some eight-year-olds start that young to learn Python, but we really start the younger kids with Scratch. And then as they get older, we do have, rarely we have the high school student, but, you know, schools in Austin teach computer science, right? And high school students are so limited on time exploring other activities that, you know, kids who might start with us in grade school, let's say fifth grade, um, by the time they're in high school, they usually have other activities. Do you literally know if what they've learned like carries over to their high school? Do they then take the next class of uh, computer science or something? I do know that because one of our students who um, was with us in middle school um, joined LASA, which is Liberal Arts and Sciences Academy. So he's no longer a student, but he came back as a volunteer. And so that's been really exciting to see. I didn't even recognize him because they grow so much. (laughs) And he was also virtual because he started during COVID. And so it's been nice to see him back in person, but I know that he's continuing computer science education. He's learning more coding, which is great. That's awesome. Yeah, you've been in business now for several years, pre-pandemic and all this stuff. Yes. How how has that been? Oh my gosh. I'm happy we survived. (laughs) That was such an anxious time in 2020, just hearing the news, you know, in January and February, right? And then having to shut down in March. We were very fortunate that we were able to move on to a virtual platform quickly. But we just made that pivot and ran summer camps entirely virtually that summer. There was demand and people still wanted to bring their kids to learn Python online and stuff? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult online. And after 
I think last summer we were able to do more in person. It was maybe half half, and now we're starting to see more kids coming in person. Cool. But it's definitely a challenge. Virtual. I mean, it's an opportunity. It's better than nothing. But I think with kids, it's much easier to teach them in person. I think that experience is more enjoyable for them as well. Sure, and I would agree. I think for right. adults, for a lot of things, it's it's definitely better in person. Um, exactly. I mean, that's where the magic happens, as we say. So how do you make that magic? One of the things I, I really was interested in hearing from you and having you share was if you're teaching coding, especially to a young person, what are like the the things you got to do or the things you have to watch out for, things you got to not do? Like right. what are the tips and tricks for that? So uh, we usually start with Scratch, which is visual block coding. So it's very easy for them Um you know, to maneuver the blocks, to snap them together, to make code, to make that logic, right? But we really have to make sure that they stay focused on the logic and not like spending too much time with the art, right? So they'll <laughs> want to, you know, import characters and they can code any character that they can import from the internet or they can change colors of the character library offerings, Um so, you know, there's a tendency that they'll just want to spend time on the art yeah. part. Yeah. And we do let them enjoy that, you know, because they get to be creative and express themselves that way. But we also want to teach the logic, like mm -hmm. think about what you want to do with this character and then how do you make that happen? So, you know, I think it's very important to have someone walk through, okay, what's your goal and how will you achieve this? Like, what do you, what do you need to make happen? So, for example, you know, one of the projects that we do in camps is we have them create a maze and they have to code the maze, which is getting the character that they create from point A to point B. Yeah. And then, you know, a lot of the students will get to point B and they'll tell us that nothing happens. And then we'll ask them, well, did you, did you tell the computer to do anything? Like, did you program that logic? Right. So we want to empower them to realize that they're the ones that control what happens and they need to tell the computer, right? What's going to happen when A, the character reaches point B, right? You have to first of all recognize that event. And then you have to code some logic. Maybe it goes to the next screen or maybe it flashes congratulations. But, you know, you're the you're the master. Right. So you get to decide what happens when they reach speed. You're giving these kids choices. You're not telling them follow this recipe per exactly. se. Okay. Yeah. And that's where the creativity comes in. And I think that's where the exciting part is, is that, you know, they, they can control. They can make it, things happen through code. Do you ever face a difficulty where you have a child come in and maybe like their parents made them come here or something or yes. they aren't as interested as the other students so what do you do in those situations where yeah we're very sensitive to that because we realize that that does happen and you know we'll give it some time and then we'll make a recommendation to the parent like hey maybe they would enjoy chess more or oh, you know math yeah. or sense that yeah. you have other options here or elsewhere that you could suggest Right. And because we, we have small classes, we're able to, you know, customize and do things that they're more interested in. Mm -hmm. Right. So the classes are small enough that we can say, okay, do you, if you don't like a maze, do you want to build a platformer game, for example? And so that way we can assess their interests and try to see if there's a way to kind of meet their interests before pulling them into a different class. Because we also have game development classes, right? Yeah. With Game Maker is our platform after scratch. And then from there it goes to Unity. 
a but, blender. Yeah, we also awesome. teach, yeah, graphics has been fun for the girls, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, what about that makes it more appealing for your girls? Yeah, I think it's it seems more creative for them, not as technical, maybe. Um, you know, they play, they can play with colors and different types of graphic design tools. So it's not really coding, but okay, it's still okay. problem solving in a different way. Right? Yeah, 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 for sure. As any like designer or UX person would say, there's a lot of problem solving in that. And would you say the order in which you said that is the order of popularity overall? Like most people want to come here to learn to code and then game design and then chess like i think it, it varies i mean over time we've seen people are learning more about what we offer so they'll come specifically okay. for chess like they'll see our google ads for example okay, okay. but i think you know with our name they might initially come here thinking that's how we teach mm-hmm. right but we've slowly popularized like keyboarding is getting popular um you know math as well so i think over time People come here and they realize we offer more than just coding. Or they realize maybe coding is not for their kids, but, you know, maybe they want to do more math, more individualized math. So we're doing, we're trying to do more hands-on activities just to differentiate ourselves from Mathnasium, which is great, but, um, you know, some parents don't like the worksheet approach. Mm -hmm. And so we try to do more like visual, tangible object, like more robotics type rolling dice, for example. Do you know if that's like a trendy thing happening? Are are you choosing these things because you like it? Or is it something that you see that people want to learn that? You know, is it coming from you or is it coming from them? No, it's definitely coming from the the parents and the kids. Yeah, the kids come in asking for these things. Right. So a popular question we get asked is my, my son or daughter is seven. So would you recommend that they start taking robotics or scratch? You know, and and my answer is usually it depends on the kid because Scratch teaches more logic and it's it's applicable to like coding in the future, right? You're learning the paradigm, you're learning heuristics, and you comply what you learn in Scratch to Python or any other coding language, yeah. right? Whereas robotics is very specific to the platform itself. What platform in robotics do you use? We use MBot by MakeBlock. Okay, okay. We used yeah. to use Ozobot. Yeah. Um, and we've looked into drones, like Hansel Hong's company, Robolink. Yeah, you, <laughs> Plug for Hansel. You know, like all these different things. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, and so I usually say, you know, robotics is more limited, but the appeal is for hands-on activities, right? Mm-hmm. So they're more drawn to the robots, even if what they're learning is limited to that particular robot, right? They're not as interested in Scratch because it's not as tangible, so there's not as much chance for the algorithmic learning, at least on this kind of robotic platform. They're not programming as much. or Well, they are, but they, the hardware is limiting itself, right? So it's it's not yeah. as broad. They, they can't be as creative. Yeah, I think so. Like, that, like there's not as much you can do, I would yeah. say. Right, you can move the robot, but, you know, with Scratch, it's really unless you can make math games in Scratch. So, yeah, yeah. yeah that's what I mean. So, yeah, it's definitely driven by the families and what they get excited about. How do you choose in the end what you implement for your business? Because you have a lot of choices and you have to limit it. So what is the criteria for putting it in here? Yeah, um, I would say the popularity. So web design is not 
did not take off. And part of that could be people are just not aware that we offered it. Right. But that is something that I had expected to be more popular, but wasn't. And so now it's, it's not something, I mean, we can still teach it in private lessons. We can teach anything that kids want to learn, but we don't offer it as a group class anymore. Um, just because we didn't reach the numbers needed for a group class. So it's only taught in private lessons. And by web design, I mean web design development. So JavaScript, CSS, HTML, JavaScript. So now we only teach it as a camp, but we don't teach it on a weekly basis like we do with Scratch, Python, and Chess. So it's purely, like you said, based on popularity, who wants it. I mean, that makes sense. You follow what your customers want. Yeah, demand. Okay. And then you've got a lot of team members who are helping you out. Can you talk about who tends to, you know, volunteer or work in these sure. types of places? Yeah, I mean, we we have uh, high school students that are so excited and like about things like three D printing and help us develop a curriculum. I think what the three D printer is running now because of that. Student. Is that what the the background yes. noise? Okay, I don't know how how well the microphone is picking it up. I'll record some later, but, yeah. but that's cool. yeah. So the three D printer is just built over. I mean, is building something overnight. And it's really cool because he recently started building chess pieces that we can use in chess class. Oh, so yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's really neat. And so we're going to offer a 3D printing workshop, you know, kind of see how popular that is. So that's one way we pilot programs is we do workshops and we'll see how the attendance is. And we just have to keep doing things for them to get traction. So. You know, that yeah. is also a factor in whether we offer it. No, it makes a lot of going sense. Forward. And I, I like how all your programs kind of connect. Yeah. It at least <laughs> is an alternative for people to be interested in other things. But exactly. like, I could totally see that being connected to 3D modeling or yes. making game pieces for your robot to navigate or something. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And since you bring that up, it makes me think like uh, the difference between. Uh, my coding place and a traditional after school program I, I don't know what differences there are like people come to you but couldn't you in theory be in schools too with volunteers or teachers yes and so we have we were in three schools before covid and then now we're i think we're back in two one or two but we're trying to you know create more partnerships just to expand and grow and to reach more families. Is it different to run an after like a, a program at the school versus here where you control yes. the environment? Okay. It's very different. I don't know. Something about being here is like I feel like we're freer. I guess we have more flexibility I mean, I guess, because yeah, it's our you own space, are. Right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas when we go to schools, we usually bring our own laptops or we use their laptops. Yeah. And so we have to teach what we have there, right? We can't pivot from, you know, scratch to chess or something like that, which we wouldn't anyway. But, you sure. know, it just feels like we're, it's more of a rigid, I guess, program or curriculum yeah. that we follow with tighter objectives yeah. that we want to complete in that hour with the student after school when we go on to the campuses. You definitely have that problem-solving mind, I can tell, because <laughs> like, I'm sure there would be lots of problems you see in these different environments. So it makes me think about one of the things I wanted to ask you. Is problem-solving the same when you face these educational problems versus the little coding problems that you've done? Oh. So I know you have an engineer's mind, but you have kind of an educator's mind too. And sometimes people don't think that they can be both. So I'm just curious, yeah, what's the 
similarities and differences in that? I actually think coding is, I mean, there are less variables. I mean, yeah, it's more controlled, right? Because you can import certain libraries and you can create the variables and the processes pretty much analyze, design, develop, implement, and evaluate. That's pretty fixed and generally um, a common methodology to use when solving coding problems or instructional design problems even. Um, but then bigger issues in the real world have a lot more factors like administration and bureaucracy or politics, you know. Um, there's just more because you're dealing with more people and a system. Whereas at my coding place, we've kind of created our own self-contained system. So, I mean, that's been the beauty of it, um, in my opinion, as a parent, is that when I want to keep my kids, you know, occupied during spring break or something, I can can ask one of our instructors if they want to teach them keyboarding. And then I open it up. And this worked brilliantly um, a few weeks ago. You know, they were just two of my kids and then opened it up to our email list and we got six more students. And all of a sudden it was this exciting, fun camp where they could play team games, you know, and kind of be motivated by each other during break. So that's what I mean. It's a system that I've created here. So it's been exciting. You've got a very systematic way of solving problems either way, if it's an educational problem or a design problem or something. Yeah, I think so. But I think that um, even an education problem, I think it's important to kind of be aware of what the process is, right? Um, to break down the steps, as we always tell the kids at the beginning of the classes, how do you, how would you break down this problem? What do you have to do first before you get to, you know, the next step? Which makes me think of standards and assessments again. True. You talked about how schools have those. I'm sure, you, I know you have your own learning goals as well, but like, what are they? Do they follow what schools want them to learn in a traditional coding class? Yeah, um, I think so. I just think that our approach may be different. I mean, just because we have smaller numbers again. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think the approach is pretty much the same. I mean, teach them to break down problems, right, to solve problems. And of course, teach them enough of the coding language to you know, the tool to be able to solve the problem. Yeah. What are some new tools that you know about that um, would be cool for young people to learn? Well, I think there's a difference between, you know, adults and kids, right? So there's always new developments like Ruby, for example, is a really popular um, programming language, which we don't teach kids. Mm -hmm. Because I think with kids, it's more about building games or things that they can relate to. Right. So we, we do coding challenges where, you know, we give them small problems like build a small game where a person enters their age and you tell them whether they can see PG-13 or R-rated movies. Right. Mm-hmm. So something like that, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is kind of simple, but it helps them, you know, learn to solve the problem. How would you do that? Got it. Got it. It's not about the tool or the language. It's right. about what's the challenge that you want to give them. You have to be creative then to come up with challenges where <laughs> you get these challenges and design your curriculum how do you do that yeah so there is a lot of material online which gives us ideas right a lot of the coding websites for adults have good problems on them and so we'll borrow those or just i mean when i write these coding challenges i just use you know regular like even the theater you know um, problem with 
just something I came up with because I thought kids could relate to it. Hmm. Yeah. I so wonder. problems like also, you know, have someone enter a number and then print their name that number of times. Yeah. It seems easy. Like if, if like we've had students just, un, you know, type the number four yeah. and then they just print four times, but you have to loop it because what if they enter 25? Yeah. Right. So there's all these things that they might not think of initially. That you have to ask, well, what happens? And right, that, that's right. what's really neat about working with the kids is that you can just add additional layers to make them think, oh, yeah, how would I do that? Like if I can't print that 25 or 100 times, yeah. right? So how do I get the computer to print that that many times? You definitely question. You just ask yes. them a question as the guide exactly to, to them exploring yeah so we're guys and they're the ones and that's why the power's in their hands and that's i think what's intoxicating and addictive about coding is that they can do whatever they want you just need to ask them and challenge them do kids that young come in with their own ideas and their own challenges like they want to build this thing and have it shoot lightning or whatever is that a a thing that you see or do you kind of have to be more so I think prescriptive. yeah I think we have to be more directed um, when they're younger because they usually don't have ideas whereas I think the older kids like around 10 are more specific about what they want to do in oh. games yeah. you know they have more of an idea of their vision they have more of a vision whereas you know the younger kids are more flexible and open-minded I guess you could put it that way yeah but it's also a little harder um, because you have to come up with ideas for them. Right. I can't imagine teaching like little kids for a 40-hour-a-week job myself because it seems really difficult. Is yes. there like the emotions that you got to handle or the behavior? Do you have to deal with any of that well, stuff? Well, so that- we had thought about um, starting to teach younger kids, mm-hmm. but then I don't think our instructors are interested in that because they're interested in teaching coding and problem solving. And when you get to younger ages, it's really like you're teaching mouse movements and keyboarding, right? There's a lot of time spent on those, I guess, manual mechanical things that the the instructors are interested in. So I would say part of the reason we haven't gone younger is because of those challenges. Um, So I think... If we were to find the right instructors who were more interested in working with the younger age group, I think that would be better. But yeah. And so I guess that's one idea for the future. It it makes me want to ask you, what else do you want to do with your business? And like, where do you see it growing? Or do you just want to sustain? Oh, no, I have so many ideas, Pius. (laughs) If if you want to share them, maybe they're proprietary. No, no, not at all. What's the dream, I guess? I will say, you know, I've I've thought about expanding in different areas, one of them being a nonprofit um, arm. Why why is that? Just to focus on that one first. Yeah, that's a great question. I'm excited about that. I haven't made much progress there because there's so many other things to explore. But um, I just want to reach underrepresented communities in tech, right? So that would be minorities. Um, people who can't afford or access our programs, mm-hmm. right? And we have worked with some nonprofits through, uh, like Dell, who mm-hmm. sponsored them, mm-hmm. right? And so we've also, you know, been at libraries offering workshops, and so we want to do more of that just to reach more people. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it might be easier to qualify for grants instead of relying on partners to have our own 
you know, nonprofit arm. But we've also tried to get into adult education, but that is a completely different ballgame and not our specialty because we're interested in teaching problem solving skills. And that's really more about career preparation yeah yeah right so because you said already you don't do high school so it's like why would you jump all no the way we to, actually like you, to do high school oh, do? we okay. just have had a problem getting high school kids it's part of the expansion yeah to, okay i mean i just feel like they're so busy it's you know once we see a drop off once they finish middle school but yeah i i mean i learned to code in high school so i would love to teach more high school kids but again the schools offer coding so <laughs> so you want to do a nonprofit? you want to reach uh, older kids, what else do you have uh, in your Well, we try. We may do younger kids, but that younger, depends okay. on whether we can get instructors. Yeah. I've even thought about software, like building software to teach kids to code. Um, but there are challenges there because we face the same challenges that we do with virtual, the virtual programs, is that the kids are often not paying attention because they might be like watching YouTube or playing Roblox on another tab, yeah. right? So it's hard to get, I mean, their attention. They're easily distracted in a virtual environment. So I would only imagine with software on a mobile phone or where there's no one to watch them that it wouldn't be that effective. So you were thinking like a, a Skype kind of app where you could teach them? Oh, you mean like have an instructor? Is that, that's what it sounded like. You're, or you're thinking just an app that teaches directly yeah, without like, an instructor? Right, like language oh, okay. apps. Or, yeah. That's know. really interesting, but it seems really difficult. <laughs> yes, so. especially for children. Yeah. Right, yeah. to keep them focused. Wow. But, um, yeah, so we're expanding our Roblox program that's been popular because kids play Roblox so yeah. they can relate to it. And the more that we can, you know, kind of create connections with, with what they're excited about, I think the more successful we're going to be. Cool. Those are a lot of good ideas. <laughs> we'll and see. Just as a side note, then, what are kids excited about? As Just pretend like you're talking to someone. I mean, I don't know a whole lot. Oh, we'll wow. about kids. But you so, said games. Games, definitely games. So my kids are nine. They're twins. And they love Roblox and Minecraft. Yeah, yeah. Right. They, they play with their cousins in Florida and California. Right. And that's why Roblox is becoming, as a class, popular because they're learning Lua and they're learning to script characters in games. And so, you know, kids are enjoying that. So we're trying to appeal to that yeah, yeah. to say, hey, this is the power of knowing how to code. You can kind of expand your gaming by controlling characters and making yeah. things happen. It kind of sounds like that's a big theme then at my coding place. With the chess, the game design, even using logic, um, even with your your Blender class, I feel like yes. it could be applied to games. I guess everything goes to yeah, games. Yeah, so a Blender was started by an instructor who was a professional game developer. That's awesome. Yeah, so he taught Unity and he taught Blender, and it was really exciting. Yeah. I loved what he did with Blender. He got the kids excited about it, and yeah. So... Um, what what takes the most time for anyone who's also trying to do something similar and and they're planning out their business? Oh gosh! I guess they're your competitor in Austin, but no, like they're probably in their own city somewhere trying right. to do the same thing. I guess my question is, if you could do that over again, what would you do differently to smooth over some of the, the well? So staffing surprisingly has one been one of my bigger challenges and I think that's an ongoing problem with all businesses these days right you're always seeing now hiring signs everywhere I think that we have the advantage that 
our instructors really enjoy and want to pass on their skills, right? And so that's that's exciting for them more than, you know, being just a paycheck. I think they feel like they have a purpose here, and they do. Right. I want, I want this experience to be rewarding, not, not just for the kids and families, but also for the instructors. So yeah, that, that's been time consuming. We're continually, you know, interviewing. (laughs) I I don't know if we'll ever figure, I mean, people just come and go all the time. And especially our instructors, they can code so they can get a higher paying job. Right. In fact, you're reminding me of, I mean, I spoke to Girl Start, the other, another nonprofit org. They focus specifically on like fifth grade girls, but they do teach coding too. And I think, they use college, UT college oh, students for right. that reason because they know there's turnover. But yes. it's that same thing that you said, that they're interested in both the coding and the teaching. And it's like a known thing that they're only going to do it for this amount yes. of time. So it's more predictable, at least. Yeah, so. we have. Right. We have. I mean, I think high school and college students are great. They're very excited. And they can relate to the kids because yeah, yeah. they're closer in age. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But then it's hard to keep them because they'll want internships and they want to go into tech, right, with a coding background. And we have, you know, people who graduate from adult boot camps who come here and work for a little bit. Oh, wow. With the understanding that they're looking for a full-time job in tech. So, you know, I know that it's just a matter of time before they'll find something because there's so much tech in Austin. It's tough. Yeah. (laughs) It's tough. No, it totally is. But another thing I want to do, actually, that reminds me is um, partner with more tech companies. I think that's another avenue. How, wh- how would you do that? What do you mean? We haven't really explored that yet. I mean, I've been talking to some colleagues, of, you know, like at Dell and other places where I used to work. Um, I don't know. I was actually thinking we could offer that as a benefit, as an employee benefit for their children. Oh, possibly. okay. That's um, interesting. And plus, there are a lot of companies that give, they pay their workers to volunteer in the community as well. Okay. So I've, I forget who does that. <laughs> but no, a lot of the tech companies do that. And I wonder if they might volunteer to teach coding. Yes. I, when we first opened, I did have a woman um, say that she knew developers at Indeed who would enjoy volunteering. Yeah. yeah. So you do have a lot of ideas. Yeah, yeah, I know to, it's too much. <laughs> to strike them off the list as you go through. Um, beyond yourself, beyond my coding place, is there something in education or tech that you wish was out there it doesn't have to be you doing it but something you wish was out there as a resource or a project that we don't have yet yeah that's a good question i guess that's why i thought about you know software teaching kids to code right okay yeah i mean there is stuff like you know you'll see scratch code i think i don't remember the names of the apps but there are you know something that seems like a game but it's actually trying to teach coding Mm -hmm. but i would like to see more of that Hmm. But at the same time, I understand it's difficult for kids to choose that over Roblox or, you know, if they're going to be online, I think they'll naturally gravitate towards their games, not yeah. learning about coding. Right. You got to sneak it in there. Yeah. When you can. yeah um, I mean, that's something we try to capitalize on. But I think that's why it's important to have a supervisor or a mentor watching, sure. you know, so they don't get off task. And that's. That's another nice thing is that we, we offer after school drop off programs. So kids come here and they know that dedicated hour is for coding, right? Whereas if they're at home or virtual, it's harder to get them to focus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, but it does seem like you've really thought about a lot of these things already, a lot of these problems. 
Do you, I, I assume you think about trying to do all of these things. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot to think about, but it's exciting. Um, you know, and we like to try different things and explore and see what sticks. And that takes time, too. No, Amy, I, I think that's really cool what you shared. Um, I'm wondering if people wanted to learn more about what you do. If they're in Austin, they can just visit the website, talk to you, or yeah. what's the best way? Yeah, I mean, I would visit the website and drop by. You know, we're always happy to show people around. We've had families, like um, parents, bring their parents. So we've had grandparents come in, and, you know, they, they think it's really cool, and they say, oh, this, so this is where the magic happens. And it's always really rewarding to hear that. Wow. Oh. And um, the posters that we have on our windows of uh, are of not only my kids but cam- former campers. Oh, okay. you know, who might have started in second grade and now they're in fifth. Yeah, and they're taller, and it, it's just really nice. I noticed your sign says "Live Laugh Code" out yeah. there. So, um, yeah, just co- you know, coding is just a part of life. So you'll see all the signs we have around here: love, eat, sleep, play, hope, dream. Yeah, I, I guess I should, have, I should have asked you to describe the place since this is just audio. But like, um, yeah, just describe what you've got here right now in North Austin. Right. Well, it's very colorful. Um, we have one wall that's turquoise, um, then another wall that's yellow, and then another wall that's full of triangles that are a mix of yellow, turquoise, and various shades of gray. And so it's very, um, I guess, energetic when you walk in. And I wanted to have a clubhouse feel to make it feel fun for kids. And then on the walls, we have circles. Uh, they're PVC, so they're about one inch thick. They kind of pop out from the walls. And they just have our tagline in it. Um, not the whole line, but they have words like live, laugh, code, which is our tagline. But we also have eat, sleep, play, dream and hope that's cool and it's in addition to your 3d printer that's running and like the the 10 computers and workstations um so it's kind of a for me it seems like a cool combination of this brightness but also the technology yeah so we're trying to get more you know robots um here you see some trinkets and gadgets like those are basically puzzles that you can solve uh, Rubik's cubes, yeah, yeah, on things that we print with our three D printer. <laughs> yeah, that, that's really cool. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Amy, for talking. My pleasure. Appreciate it. That was Amy Prezada, founder of My Coding Place in Austin, Texas. Check the show notes for links to some of what we mentioned. All that and more cool stuff is also on the podcast website. Find it at k12engineering.net. The K-12 Engineering Education Podcast is produced by myself at my indie studio, Pios Labs in Austin, Texas. Pios Labs fosters growth in engineering and education through edtech, digital media, games, and professional development. Follow Pios Labs everywhere to stay updated. That's P-I-O-S-L-A-B-S. Listener, I hope you got something out of this podcast. And in return, please leave a rating and review for the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. It's super helpful for the show and is much appreciated. Thanks also to the folks sponsoring this podcast on Patreon. You can help me keep the show on the internet too. Go to patreon.com slash pioslabs and donate a few bucks for engineering education. That's patreon.com slash P-I-O-S-L-A-B-S. 
Okay, take care, folks, and until next time.